to, if anyone would like to make any short comments or raise any questions, um, you could come to the mic here. You can go to the mic, but let's keep it short because we want to get as many as we can. Okay. Thank you, thank you, Father Lawrence. I wanted to apologise just as an introduction that I arrived late due to um, yes. travelling. To keep it keep it keep short, it short because because we so want to get other people. What I wanted to ask, I wondered if you had a short abstract at, at all of the talk you gave this morning, not just for me who arrived late, but for anyone else, a very brief abstract. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's it's been recorded, so we'll probably do something with it. Yeah, thank you. Um, Father Lawrence, I just want to ask you, you were talking about wisdom being the relationship to the whole. Yeah. And I wondered, I, I know that that's sort of that notion of intimations of immortality and the child trailing memories of, of wholeness. Is the idea that the child is still close to the wholeness, having recently left wholeness, and that is why the child often has a wisdom beyond the years and it seems to be... Um, accessible in a way that it's not to adults. Hmm. Um, Thank you. Well, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, does, does a child uh, bring into this world uh, knowledge of the pre-existent world? Uh, Maybe, maybe it does. I don't think we understand very much about um, how we come into existence. St. Paul says that God loved us before we were made. Before we were created, God loved us. So we, your creation for God is not a, a temporal thing. God created time, so God's the creation in God's uh, in the divine act is is uh, eternal, so timeless. But you know, I think we can't we can't really look beyond the horizon of our arrival, just as we can't look beyond the horizon of our departure. Uh, we don't know. Really, we can have strong intuitions, and I did speak once to a meditator in London who was dying, and she'd gone through some quite painful last stages, and she died maybe a week or two after I spoke with her. But I said to her, she was a very strong woman, very contemplative, and I said, "Do you have any? Are you curious about what the next life is going to be like?" and and she said something like, well, no, no, yes, and not really. She said, I think it's going to be a continuation of what I'm experiencing now. And she said, I'm, I've been blessed, you know, with such a gift of peace and sense of God's presence, such an awareness that love is the most important thing. She said, I just feel this is just going to be an expansion of that, you know. So that may be... Maybe the best answer, really, that we could have to 
uh, either the past or the future of our existence and without trying to imagine beyond the horizon of our awareness. But there are intuitions that certainly come to us, like hers. What I think perhaps children have that gives, gives us this uh, sense of their wisdom and their, their insight and their connection to the whole is um, simplicity. In other words, they haven't, they haven't got a lot of baggage and the, the layers and the filters of loss and finding and self-consciousness uh, haven't yet uh, you know, built up. So they have a much clearer window of awareness through which they see the world. And our vision of the world has to be cleansed quite a lot because we've got so many filters and so many preconceptions or so much baggage. Uh, we have to get rid of that and simplify ourselves and discover what poverty of spirit means. But children, because they're beginning the journey, just started off with much less baggage. I have a question regarding our habit of diet. Of? Of diet, the way we eat. Yes. Uh, would you recommend uh, of something like a vegetarian diet is recommended or helpful uh, in the journey of uh, developing our self-knowledge? Yes, thank you. Well, um, I do think uh, what we, yes, clearly what we eat is very important. And what we drink or how much we drink is very important. And uh, I think that certainly um, affects our spiritual awareness or our clarity or our meditation itself. And um, usually, I mean, I think uh, we don't often think of this, or most people don't, I suppose, but, you know, if you... If you um, uh, fall asleep too much during meditation. We all fall asleep at times, but if you fall asleep too much, you might look at your diet, reduce some of the, the heavier foods that, uh, that cause that. And um, similarly with alcohol, I don't think it's a question of total abstention, but certainly of moderation. St. Benedict says about alcohol, the monks of the past uh, never drank wine, but as the monks of this age cannot be persuaded of this, we at least uh, demand that they don't uh, drink too much. And then he says they should drink only a, a hemina of wine a day, but we don't know how much a hemina means. <laughs> so I think moderation and self-awareness and recognizing what effect our food has on us. Um, you know, the, qu the quantity of food we eat is enormous. I was watching a, if you watch films from the 50s, it's, a, it's amazing just how much slimmer everyone is. You notice that? And um, I mean, everybody in the film, not only the stars, but everybody. Well, occasionally you have the Charles Lawton or someone, I suppose, but 
<coughs> anyway, so I think uh, we, we've just built up uh, in a world where food is cheaper. It's got cheaper, more than one of the few things that have got cheaper. And we eat, perhaps, now, um, greater quantities because we, we need to fill up the emptiness that we, that we feel about life. Um, and, of course, this, these habits start uh, with, in childhood. Uh, we get hooked on the junk food and so on. So I think, yes, I mean, basically, I, I, I don't have any particular regime, but uh, I, I do think it's, we should be very attentive, as St. Benedict was, to what we eat and how much and when. And generally, we would all benefit from being a little bit more self-aware and disciplined about it and, and looking at the effect of food and drink on our meditation, you know, on our mental state. Um, so I don't, I don't, uh, I think for some people, um, you know, total abstention from meat or alcohol may be a good and natural thing for them. I don't think, personally, I don't think it's essential, maybe because I don't, but, uh, also, I think the, the mo you know who, who most. I don't think it automatically means you're on a faster track to enlightenment because you're vegetarian. Who was the most famous vegetarian and teetotaler of the 20th century? Who? Adolf Hitler, exactly. <laughs> so I don't think we can automatically assume this is our way to enlightenment, but I think uh, I think it is. Uh, as, as you suggest, uh, a um, and and as our awareness of nutrition today in in terms of healthy living uh, should remind us that um, it it it, it uh, you know we do need to reduce and to moderate. It is it is also astonishing how uh, basic nu nutrition doesn't seem to be part of most medical treatment, you know, um, and I think doctors on the whole, I don't know if there are any doctors present who disagree with me, but I think many doctors have, have said this to me already, that they, you know, they, they focus on, on the condition, on the illness and the treatment, but not upon the, you know, the lifestyle of the, of the, uh, of the patient and, um, you could, you know, you see this also very often in hospital food. You know, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on medical treatment and then filling the patients with this junk food. But so I think the, I think meditation also does, maybe not immediately, but it does make you more aware of your your physical state, your physical well-being, and a natural care for the body. The cloud of unknowing says uh, we should keep the body healthy so that we can do this work of meditation. But in our approach to it in a lifestyle sense today, we think of meditation as a way of becoming healthy. But if we approached, if we saw the relationship between the two, we'd probably be closer to the mark. Um. I just wanted to ask you, you talk about, you know, self-knowledge 
uh, to, to coming home to ourselves, we need to have developed self-knowledge. And um, I work with older people, and in particular, journey with them towards uh, the, as they die. And um, my sense is that their generation were never encouraged to develop self-knowledge. You were, as a child, not seen, not heard. Um, self-knowledge was selfish. So that whole vocabulary of self-knowledge and self-awareness is totally foreign to them. Mm. So I really struggle with that as, a, as, as someone, as a counsellor and pastoral care in this area, to support them and to help them to develop that. You know, have you got any ideas or any suggestions to how to promote self-knowledge? I'm talking about 80, 90 plus. Mm. Thank you. Yes, I think that's, that is true. Um, I think there was a, a, yes, there was a general feeling that it was useless or selfish to spend any time thinking about, you know, what you were feeling or why you were feeling it or, so that, I think that culture, and I think that's true culturally of some other parts of the world too. I mean, now in the West, we're very used to, you know, telling everything about ourselves to everyone we meet. Uh, but um, there are other parts of the world where there's very great reticence about the sharing of oneself in that way, or at least with, with except with a very few people. So I, um, perhaps the, the way to do it, if somebody is, does seem blocked or, or you, you, you would, would benefit from liberating some of their memories or some of their self-reflection or just expressing what they perhaps knew. I had a, I had a, knew an old, uh, an old woman in my family who, very intelligent woman, and she had great insight into her family and why the family dynamics were the way they were. And uh, But she only began to express them quite late in life. And it was at some cost, you know, she was hard for her to do it, but she was expressing it. But I think many, many people don't. So maybe the best thing to do is to listen, you know, to ask somebody to speak, to tell the story of their life. It's always fascinating and interesting. And to listen. And the quality, the attention you give to somebody who's telling their story like that is itself part of their self-knowledge or stimulates their self-knowledge. If you are really paying attention and you're not judging, you're not evaluating, you're not explaining, you're not giving them a commentary, but you are showing that you're really interested, I think that attention stimulates their self-knowledge. Self hmm. So, uh, I think we, 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 could, we need to break for the midday prayer. Is that right, Father? And then... Um, but maybe we can have a little time at the beginning of Mass as well.